Good morning, Cypress Creek Church. Happy Sunday. <laughs> you thought you had me for announcements, but it turns out you got me for the whole message this morning. So I... <laughs> Oh, thank you. You are too kind. My name is Hillary Christensen. I have the privilege of being the executive pastor here. And we, I'm excited this morning. We are in the midst of a series, a summer teaching series on the book of Psalms called Songs of Jesus. And we're going to jump right in. But one of the things I love about this series just right away is the way in which we can read different attributes and angles of God through the different Psalms. I don't know if you're with me on that, but I've just noticed with different ones that we've read how David or one of the writers is calling out. He's saying, hey, look at God. He's our refuge or our comforter and all these things. And, and so that's one of the things that we're going to look at this morning before um, we, we get started here is just the, the four that we looked at earlier. And one of the things that I love too is just how it can be all these different attributes, but we're talking about the same God. It reminds me of, I was in community a few weeks ago and we had a question that was like, what's your favorite attribute of God? And we literally had all these different answers just on, based on different seasons, where we're at in life. And so we're going to chance to do that through this series. But I know people have been traveling and and, uh, and so I thought we'd just recap first with the first four that we've looked at here and just some quick little takeaways. So Psalm 139, we that kicked off the series and kind of the big takeaway there is that God knows us. God knows you. Not only does God know you, but God wants you to know him more deeply and intimately. And so that was what we looked at on the first week there. And then the second one we had was Psalm 40, that God delivers and talked about waiting and how waiting is hard because we want things now, we want things now. And yet, waiting on God that he delivers and comes through each and every time so we can further build our trust and dependence on him. Uh, the third week, we looked at Psalms 84, and Pastor Sean spoke on that and talked about how our ultimate home is with God. And not only do we have that to look forward to, but also he wants to take some of those attributes to instill in our own homes and our own families. And so we got a chance to do that. And then Last week, we had Psalm 16, that God comforts us, that he is the ultimate comforter no matter what we're going through, that we can look for him in times of trouble and in need. And each of the Psalms in this series, we've looked at three questions. So we've looked at adore, which is what does the Psalm teach about God? Admit, what does the Psalm teach me about myself? And then aspire, which is how does this Psalm compel me to respond? And I'm excited because today we're gonna look at Psalm 8. And Psalm 8 really talks about significance, not only our significance and where it comes from, from, but the significant purpose that God has, significant purpose God has for our life. Uh, I don't know about you, but ever since a little kid, I wanted to be significant. So I wanted to have the important jobs. We'd be driving and see a fire truck. And as soon as I learned what that was, I was like, mom, dad, I'm gonna be a firefighter. So I dress up, you know, didn't need Halloween to do that. So I do that. Or maybe it was like a doctor or a teacher or even a politician. I tried to get my siblings to vote for me. I think I lost, but... <laughs> But I did all the things because I wanted to matter. I wanted to, and even still to this day, I've carried that in as far as just this sense in me that wants to be important, that wants to matter. And I think for a lot of us, at least in my life stage, it might be just my generation, but I'm constantly surrounded by people seeking significance that are craving for to matter, whether it's through their job and the special job they have, that's gonna give them significance. Or maybe it's the money they have and the wealth they acquire to be billionaires and all this stuff that maybe that's where they're gonna get it. Or even just family, having, the, the picture-perfect family. That may be uh, kind of one way that people try to seek and significance. And so what I love about this psalm is it not only shows us where our true significance comes from, but again, God gets a chance to invite us into where we can experience that true significance. So this psalm follows that order, the adore, admit, aspire, pretty much to a T. And so we're going to jump right in here with verses 1 and 2 
of this passage in Psalm 8 that Grace McLean did a great job reading. She was awesome. Uh, okay, so this, this first two verses here, we have verse one, starts with, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Right away, I love this picture. There's, there's so many parts of the Bible that you can get into like theological complexities and it's like, okay, this is God is three and one and how does that work? What, you know, like this, but, but I feel like just right away with this verse, David, I just see how simple this is. I, I imagine David, he's in the fields and he's, he's maybe tending the sheep and he's looking up and he's just like, wow, God. I mean, like, just look at this. So the majestic, he, he's just, his majesty is being radiant through all of these stars. I don't know if you've seen, you know, when's the last time you've been out there and seen the stars or even uh, Pastor Jose last week showed us some pictures of, of the, the new satellite images. Have y'all seen those recently as far as all that? I mean, it's, it just blows my mind. I'm like, I don't even know how, I can't comprehend how far that is and how deep that is, but just how vast creation is. And so what David's just sharing right away here is that his, God set his glory in all the heavens and everything that he created. So not just as far as that everything radiates his glory. And so it's just, it, there's a simplicity there. It's also, it's, it's everywhere, you know, as far as what we look like. And then also I love just how this, this psalm and this verse in particular, I just feel how slow it is. I don't know if you sense that or not. It's kind of like, it's not insider knowledge, but I'm just reading this. I'm thinking you can't really just look up at the stars and go, oh, cool, God, okay, you know, and just move on in your day. It's kind of like he's sitting in it. And so I just feel like, you know, for me, I'm just like, okay, I want to sit in this and just be able to experience God's peace and his presence and just the power of his creation. I tried to do this last night. For those who know me, I'm not the biggest outdoorsman to walk the face of the earth, but I thought, hey, I'm going to do it. So I grabbed my stuff and I ventured all the way to my apartment balcony and I walked outside <laughs> and uh, a bird right away startled me. It was nesting in the corner and killed the whole mood, so I did not experience that. But, but even then, you know what I'm talking about, where like your eyes begin to adjust further and further, and you're like, okay, that's not a plane, that's a star, and then those stars, and more appear, and it's just that, that sense of wonder, that sense of awe as we stop and we just take in God's majesty here. So I, I just love that picture that David starts with in, and he's gonna continue a little bit further is talking about this moon and the stars. But it gives us another picture too of God's glory. And it's kind of a, a big opposite, a big extreme uh, difference here. And that is in the form here in verse two. It says, to the praise of children and infants that you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avengers. Uh, I am not a Bible scholar, but it's helpful to be friends with one. And so Carl Follingstad, he is one of our international missions partners. He's got his PhD in biblical linguistic studies in the Hebrew. And so I sit down, I'm picking his brain. He's helping translate the Bible to an unreached people group across the world. And he was pointing out just a cool thing about this. Not only is it just talking about children and, you know, you think of just, okay, young kids, but really this infants is talking about how weak and dependent infants are. And if you think about it, like, yes, they're so cute and amazing, but also they don't really contribute much to society, if we honestly admit, you know, if cuteness was a currency, they'd be, they'd be wealthy. But, but other than that, it's like, they are constantly dependent on every little thing. And if you think of this God, you know, David's painting this, this picture, this big chasm where he's like, okay, the God of the universe that literally created this whole galaxy, if you were to put him in human form, what would he look like, right? And if you're like me, I'd be like, like the whole choose your character in a video game. It's like, okay, strength, 100%, and smartness, 100%, and maybe he's like powerful, or you know, you gotta ramp it up. But instead, God is so majestic that even in the form of a tiny nursing infant, his glory can radiate. And in fact, 
not only radiate, but actually silence. This says to, to uh, silence the foe and the avenger, to silence the doubter, silence the, the biggest critic uh, of God and his creation, just a tiny little, uh, little uh, being. And I uh, personally, over the last year, became an uncle, which is a big deal. And I'm obsessed with my niece and nephew. I've got a niece who's eight months old and then a nephew who's two and a half months old. And I got a chance to spend time with them this past weekend at the lake. And I just got to see this kind of in human form and just hash it out here because uh, my, my nephew, he was, I was holding him and then he falls asleep on me. And then I just about melted in the couch. And I think we have a picture of him. There he is. I know, I know. I've got hundreds more if you want to see him and my, and my niece, uh, they're amazing. But, but just every little, like, you know, he'd yawn. I'd be like, oh my gosh, you know, just every little movement, every little coo, every little noise that an infant makes. And that's just how great God is. And so David's just starting out in the Psalm when he's like saying, y'all, it's not just the galaxies and not just the stars, but even in the smallest human uh, creation, God's glory is radiant. And so for this, this first part here, what does these first two verses teach us about God and what we can adore? And that is that God's glory is all around us. And there's two passages that, as I was studying, that looked at that were fun as far as just imagery of, of just more ways in which God's creation gives him praise and gives him glory. Uh, the first is Psalms um, 114.6, and it says, Why mountains did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? So I don't know if you knew that mountains and hills can leap, but apparently there it is, you know, so we get this illustration there. And then uh, Isaiah 55.12, it says, You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. So again, just another picture there. I was like, oh, I never read that before, but that's kind of fun just to see how God's creation is constantly glorifying him, constantly pointing uh, us and anyone that sees to him. I think that's even one of the coolest things about these recent discoveries, whether it's like deep in the ocean or the, the space you know, shuttles, is that these are things that humans have never seen like in the entire history of humankind. And so just now, we're getting a chance to see some of the glimpses. So God just, God is so big that we haven't even fully discovered all of his creation and all of his glory and his goodness. And so I just love that that's where David starts with this Psalm. But if you're like me, you may have grown up in the church. You may have heard this before. Okay, God's creation is all around us. I got that. But I was thinking about this. And I was like, okay, but, but how often do I actually live this out? Like I was a little convicted. I was like, okay, like I, I, I don't, I don't spend enough time just in awe and wonder. And so I was trying to think of two ways and it actually, that, that I don't do this well. And I thought of uh, kind of the two parallels that, that line up with these images. The first one that David talks about with this galaxy and these stars, uh, I just don't slow down enough. I mean, if I'm honest, it's like I'm going, going, going. And so I don't, I don't have time. I, I don't make time to spend time in God's creation. And, and so whether it's the stars or whether it's just here, I mean, people come here to vacation. So we have an amazing, beautiful place around us. And, and yet I, I'm just, on the go. And so maybe that's you this morning as well, where it's just, you're full of maybe just busyness and distractions and things. And so maybe just something just before we go even further is just stopping to take time to uh, just take in and just sit and rest in God's presence and, and his creation there. And then the second example uh, I thought about as far as why I don't see, you know, just appreciate God's glory is even just a lack of faith. And I know that's kind of like hard to say or admit out loud, but I just think about the, the example of the children and the infants and how, I don't know if you've been around children or infants or you've talked to them about God at all. Don't go do it now. Eric and our security team will stop you. But if you get a chance to sit down with, even especially like an elementary school student, they get it. I mean, like they, they, they've passed the three or four-year-old like why stage where everything's like, why, why, why? And then they, it, it clicks and they're like, yeah, this is who God is. And, and this is where God's moving. In fact, Jesus, he 
encounters a group of children that see that, that they're the only ones around him that see him for who he is and actually quotes this psalm. In Matthew 25, or 21, 15 through 17, it says, but the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear these children, what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you, ever, have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and he went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. This is, Jesus had just had the triumphal entry. He had just cleared the temple courts and there's these group of kids and they're shouting Hosanna. And so they're, they're praising God and then the Pharisees and these chief priests, they are, they are not happy. They, they are not, and they think it's blasphemous. And yet, they are the only ones. These kids, just through their eyes and through their lens, are able to see Jesus for who he really is. And so for me, I was like, oh, I want to have that, that childlike faith. I want to be able to just have that sense of, of innocence and just seeing the way that God is moving. Because I think as we get older, and I'm not that old yet, but as I get older, it's like I'm just constantly, there's just things, whether it's, it's just questioning, okay, God may be the God of the galaxy and creating all that, but is he really in this circumstance at work or in this dynamic with family? And so I just think about that when it comes to just how we can pull God in and just recognize that, yeah, no, his, his goodness and glory is all throughout creation and all around us. And so that's our first point there is just adoring and just recognizing God's glory is all around us. Uh, David keeps going kind of on the same similar track here in verse three and four. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? One thing that stands out to me right away is just this idea that, that God created all this with his fingers, which is like so effortless. You know, it just signals just how God, it's, it's just so easy for him to create these massive stars and galaxies that I can't even comprehend. And then he does it with such intricate detail. And so I think it's just, again, from the comparison of the galaxy to even just a little baby where they've got the little fingernails and it's like every little thing. It's like just amazing how God has created and put so much detail into each one of these. And so David's really just saying here, you know, this God is so big. I mean, the moon and the stars, I mean, it's just, it's so vast. Uh, one of the things I personally like, just this, this is a side, but uh, the moon and the stars, I think it's so cool that David, when he's writing this and we get a chance to see this, uh, the same moon and stars that he sees is the same exact moon and stars that we get to see. I feel like there's so many differences between my life and David when he's writing this. I mean, I'm on the other side of the world. It was thousands of years ago. He's a shepherd tending sheep. I just wear sheep. I mean, it's like, I don't even, don't, I can't even comprehend or compare. And yet he's looking up and he's looking at the same moon and the same stars. And even before him, Abraham, as far as God showing Abraham through the same moon and the same stars. So just, you know, that was a free, that's just something I noticed. But, uh, but here in verse four, David begins to just acknowledge this big chasm because we've just talked about how great God is. And then he says here in verse four, what is mankind? that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. What is mankind? What, who are we? I mean, and, and I know that's not very popular, maybe not on a bumper sticker, this verse, or motivational speakers, but, but David is just, he's at this point where he's like, we are so lower than God. We are, we are so weak compared to God. We're so dependent compared to God. This, guy, this God that can make the moon and the stars with his fingertips. And yet here we are, and most of us can't even figure out what we're going to eat for breakfast in the morning. And so it's just this, 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 this recognition and this humbling truth. And I think for some of us in the room, we may be on that side of like thinking that the moon and the stars revolve around us. You know, the universe revolves around us. And so we hear that and we're like, oh, 
kind of hurts a little bit. Uh, but then there's others that I think he, he plays to both sides here because the, this part in this verse says that God is mindful of us and that he cares for us. That word mindful means that he thinks about us all the time. And so not only does he just think about us, but he cares about us. And so right away, without us doing anything, it doesn't say he cares about the strongest or he cares about you know, the smartest. No, no, every single person that he has created, every uh, mankind, all mankind, he is mindful of them and he cares for them. And so no matter, I feel like we've all been there maybe times where you, you realize you're like, okay, I think I got this. I think I got the world under control here. And then something happens, right? It might be an illness. It might be uh, an unforeseen you know, work circumstance or something. But, but I feel like all of us have been to this point where we realize who, who are we? Who, who are we that, that, that we get a chance to, to be with God? Uh, I had a friend, he sold all, after college, he sold all stuff and moved to Hawaii. It wasn't a mission trip, it was just to surf. And he was learning how to surf and he was, he was calling me, he's telling me about it. And I was curious because I was like, I wanna know this. And, uh, and it was neat because he kind of had that same reverence. He was talking about how surfers, they have this reverence for creation and for the waves in particular. And they're, they're so close, like if they just went one step higher in creator, then that would be amazing. But they just talk about how even the most fit, athletic surfer there is, like these ways will literally crush you. And so they are always mindful of it and they speak out of this like reverence or this respect. So I think just that example, when I think about this kind of big chasm that David is pointing out here. And so he's saying, God is so great. And yet we are so small. I mean, the God of the galaxies and then amongst the galaxies and galaxies, and there's our galaxy, and then there's this tiny little rock of earth, and then the rock, and then there's us, and yet he sees us, and he cares for us, and he thinks about us all the time. I just love that about this, this concept here that, that we don't deserve this, and yet God has given us significance. Again, we didn't do anything, we didn't say anything, and we have significance, and that's where the second point here goes in as far as to admit that despite our weaknesses, God sees us as significant. And like I mentioned from the top, this is a message that I need to hear and be reminded of. And I feel like this is a message that we get to share the world because there are people constantly seeking significance, constantly trying as hard as they can. And yet this right here is our, our truth and our identity that God has created us and cares about us. Uh, but the neat thing is he doesn't stop there. It's not just like, I mean, we could, it could be like, wow, God is great. And, and he is, you know, he has come through the chasm. He is able to bring us to right standing relation with him. But he also gets a chance to enter. He's invited us and gives us a chance to enter into his purpose. And this is where it gets really cool because as I read this Psalm and I seek, okay, I wanna be significant. I wanna be a part of things that are significant. This Psalm shows us and points us to where that is here. In these next few verses in verse five through eight, it says, you have made him a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers of the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish of the sea and all that swim in the paths of the sea. Right away, we see from the very beginning that we've been crowned with glory and honor. Again, not anything that we've done, not anything that we've said before we even took a breath. We have been crowned as image bearers of Christ. As I was studying this, I was reading how in like Old Testament times, kings used to create these statues of themselves and they used to put them out kind of in these different regions so that, and obviously people knew those weren't the actual kings, but they would look at that and that would be, mind, they'd remind them like, oh yeah, this is this is this guy's turf. This is this guy's territory. And, and so in the same way, God is crowning us with glory and honor that we get to be image bearers, that we get to reflect and radiate God's glory, which 
If you ask me, it's a little intimidating. Like if I was the only person you knew that I was supposed to reflect God, it's like, ooh, you know, some days I don't want you to scratch that from the record. Don't look at that. But instead, God has still crowned us to be image bearers. And then the part that I also think is important here is in, verse, in verses five and six, the number of times you is mentioned, right? This is a Psalm to God. And it says, you have made them lower than the angels. You made them rulers over the works of your hands and you put everything under your feet. That, that word right there is the key to this whole passage is recognizing where we fall in God's order and not in a way of like, okay, we're nothing, but instead that we are something, our significance comes, but only comes from God and that he has allowed us to be significant and enter into significant work here, that he's the one that has made us rulers over his works of his hands and that he has put everything under their feet, that God has decided that. That's not us, but that God has given that to us. And so uh, the, the next few verses you'll find familiar because it's referenced out of Genesis. So this is going back to the early creation mandate with Adam and Eve. And there's cool examples here. There's a few examples we're gonna look through uh, of someone that God has chosen to be their image bearers and then given them a special task in the same way that he has given us a special purpose and a special task here. And so the first is Adam and Eve. So they get chosen. We'll look right away at Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so what you see here is God is doing two things. He's both crowning them with glory and honor. He's basically saying, you are gonna be my image bearers. I'm gonna set you apart. You're gonna be special so you can radiate my special, my, his presence and his glory and his, and his magnificence. But then he's also given him a purpose. And so he said, hey, Come with me. Let's create amazing things in this garden. So they're in perfect communion with God and they're able to do this. Again, knowing where their true significance comes from and they're submitting to God, but they're getting a chance to be a part of some really awesome stuff. But we know how the story goes. So Genesis 3 rolls around and the serpent comes and the serpent begins to tempt them. And again, many of you have probably heard this story before, but he's saying, did God really tell you not to eat the fruit? I mean, God gave them like one rule, don't eat the fruit of this tree. And he said, did he really say that? And, and, then, and then one step further, he says, uh, do you wanna be, don't you wanna be like God, essentially? Like, do you, don't you wanna eat this fruit because God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because you're gonna be wise like him. And all of a sudden, Adam and Eve were tempted to say, okay, are we gonna still submit and be a part of God's plan? Or are we going to take some of this ourselves? Do we want to also be God? And do we also want some of the glory? Do we also want people to say, oh Lord, how majestic is my name instead of just the Lord's name? And so right away, they, they, they took the bite of the apple and they tried to make it about themselves. And we saw the consequences of that because they, they had the opportunity to be a part of that and then they blew it. And even though we weren't in the garden, we would do the same thing because we do that ourselves as far as taking the glory for ourselves and taking control over our own circumstances. So God separated them, but he still pursued his people. And he still wanted image bearers that people could see a physical representation of an invisible God. And so he picked the Israelites, he chose them out as a special group of people, this time a nation. And he said, okay, I want this nation. I want, I'm gonna give you some laws. Most of us be like, ooh, laws. But, but these are laws that show God's goodness and glory and the way in which they interact with each other. And so this was gonna be 
the great example of what God looks like on earth. He mentions here in Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8, he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of king of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Lord didn't just pick the strongest nation. In fact, he picked the smallest nation and he picked them and set them apart for, again, not only did they, he crown them, give them a sense of identity, but then also he had a purpose for them. And we know how that goes. There's not just one passage, but lots of passages and ways in which they mess us up. God gave them a promised land and said, here you go. And they wanted it on their time, on their terms. And instead they tried to go their own way. They wanted to be, they wanted to be God. And they in fact seeked sought other gods just so that they could try to gain more control. And again, they blew it and they didn't show and be a great representation of who God is. And thankfully, the story doesn't stop there. God chose another special person that he crowned with glory and honor, and that was his son, Jesus. And Jesus showed the perfect picture of this when he came on earth, lived a perfect life, and was in complete surrenderance to God. In fact, God the Father and Jesus, they, they were inseparable. You couldn't even tell who was who and whose idea was what because he was so in sync with the Father. And that is, again, what, what our purpose and what our calling is and the way in which we be image bearers. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says this. It says, in your relationship with another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. That, that part there just did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. I think that's so powerful. And then I think about it in this context too, Satan came to Jesus himself and tried to tempt him. And when you look at those three temptations in particular, each of them is constantly trying to convince Jesus to just take a little bit of the glory for him or just take a little bit of control. And yeah, yeah, he, he's saying, yeah, I know God told you to do that, but, but what if you did it this way? What, this, this would be easier, this way. And, and yet Jesus stayed true. He understood where his significance came from. He understood the significant purpose that he had and he followed through all the way to the cross and then he's not done either because he could have just wrapped it all up and said, okay, everybody go home. This is it after he rose from the dead. But instead he has chosen another group and that is me and you to be set apart image bearers of Christ that we get a chance to reflect as a church and then even individually is what does it look like for us to radiate God's glory? And so uh, I think 1 Peter 2, 9 does a great job explaining this. It says, but you, talking about us, you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And I love the phrase there in this verse. It just says that you may declare the praises of him. That's, that's our purpose. That, that's, that's where we get our significance from, is that God has given us significance and then we get a chance to be part of an eternal significant purpose. And that is through declaring and saying his praises, saying, look, look what God did. Look, look what God did through me. This is, this is not me. I'm, I'm weak. I, I'm, I'm like a, a nursing infant. I, I do not have anything compared to God. And yet God used me and God is doing this through me. And so we get a chance to be those vessels. We get a chance to be those people that are pointing people to Christ. And 
And uh, this is a great way to end this Psalm, uh, Psalm 8, 9. David starts and ends the same way. He says, Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Worship team, you can come back up. We get an amazing opportunity here as the body of Christ to be able to do this together as well as individually. And, and this can look different for a lot of different people. This is depending on your job, depending on your age. It doesn't matter that you get a chance to do this. Uh, I love one of the things I've been reading about uh, being involved in local missions. There's this book called When Helping Hurts, and it's kind of showing just a profound way that even we can rethink just philanthropy and just helping out because if everyone has a purpose, if everyone has something to contribute, if everyone is an image bearer of God, then what are ways that we can see them that way? What are ways that we can change things to not just enable and say, reinforce the idea that, yeah, you're, you're worthless, you don't have anything, but instead, how, how can we cultivate and how can we uh, allow them to flourish? And so that's just for us too, regardless of income, regardless of where we're at, that we have a purpose. And so what God is asking us to do here as far as this last one is to pursue a purpose that is eternally significant. And that's gonna look different for all of us, but again, it's gonna start with just recognizing God's order and understanding where we are and, and what he's done to allow us to bring be significant to him. And as we close in prayer, I want to just give some people an opportunity, if maybe this is the first time that it's clicked in your head, that you're like, okay, God really is so great, and I really am so weak, and I, I need him so much. And so I want us to, to just close in prayer and just give you a chance to accept Christ for the first time, to say, God, I, I want to surrender my plans and my purposes and know that I've tried to seek significance in my own way, but instead that I want to surrender to you. So Lord, as we pray that, I just thank you for your son. And I thank you that he came and died after living a perfect life to be our savior so that we can have significance, that we can be image bearers and right standing with you and communion with you. And Lord, I just pray for those who maybe for the first time this morning have clicked.